0: Well, we are almost to the end of our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we just have two more weeks after this week uh, as we uh, continue in this series uh, dealing with the, the, the quest of the main character of the book, which we've said is really reflective of our quest. Um, we're making the argument that we're all after the point of it all. In some way, shape, or form. We're all seeking to find reason to live in this unreasonable world in which we live. And so, if you would, uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, that'll be on page 558. And uh, let me just say, if you don't own a Bible or you just kind of want a new one, maybe the version that we use, uh, we have some free ones on the back of a resource table there. So we would love for you, just as our gift to you, to grab one of those and take them with you. Um, now, uh, just as you're turning there, let me, let me take a quick poll here. You can help me out with a show of hands. Uh, How many of you are cereal lovers out there? Can I just get a little what's up there? Okay, that's uh, quite a few of you. Okay, maybe we could even amp this up a little bit. How many of you have had a bowl of cereal in the past week or two? Anybody? Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. All right. Uh, I I love cereal. You might be interested to know there are 2.7 billion packages of cereal sold every year Um, for you, kind of uh, just random factoid people. That would, uh, if you lined up all those boxes, that would stretch around the earth like 13 times. Uh, Pretty crazy stuff. Um, They they say that half of all Americans uh, eat a bowl of cereal, uh, you know, regularly. And uh, and cereal is the third most popular item sold in grocery stores after carbonated beverages and milk. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, number one, I I enjoy cereal, all right? But uh, even though... You know we have this kind of affinity for cereal going on in my life. Uh, there is one problem with my love for cereal, okay so maybe maybe, maybe some of you can identify with this right is, is when I have to go to the grocery store to pick out that next brand or brands of cereal that I, I want to buy right and, and why is this why is this kind of a dilemma right but because the cereal aisle not only just takes up one side these days like both sides of the aisle, it can be this exhilarating, you know, experience because of all of the options. And it can also be this kind of intimidating experience because of all the options, right? I mean, is, there, is anyone feeling me on this? They want to feel that dilemma. Some of you indecisive people, you know, I can make some decisions on some things. When it comes to cereal, man, I'm just overwhelmed. Okay. <laughs> And, and why is this, I mean, well, first off, when I go down the aisle, you know, I've got to look for all the new brands, did you know that there are over 250 varieties of cereal in the average supermarket these days, 250, it's crazy, take Cheerios, for example, all right, everyone's had a bowl of, like, original yellow box Cheerios, right, everyone's, yeah, it's as American as apple pie, maybe, um, and, and then they came out with Honey Nut Cheerios, right? And then they came out with Apple Cinnamon Cheerios. Well, just listen to this. Maybe you haven't been to the cereal aisle in a while. Now they have multigrain, banana nut, chocolate, dulce de leche, cinnamon, cinnamon burst, <laughs> yogurt burst, frosted, fruity, oat cluster, peanut butter, and for good measure, they even throw, throw in there multigrain peanut butter, Okay. So, I mean, you have, you have all these other, that's just Cheerios, by the way, okay? Then, you know, we move on to questions that begin to swirl in your mind, you know, should I, should I go with something healthy, you know, maybe like a Life, an Oatmeal Squares, a, a Kashi with blueberries, or something like this, or should I go, you know, the not-so-healthy route, maybe some Apple Jacks, some Cinnamon Toast Crunch, anyone, yeah, maybe, maybe not, uh, or even somewhere in between, you know, it's a little healthy, a little some sweet honey bunches of oats with peaches. That's one of my one of my favorites. You probably didn't care to know that. Um, so, so, so we have all of these, you know, options. That, that, that make this experience maybe uh, somewhat difficult. And so if, if you're like me, let me just encourage you to kind of bring this to the spiritual side of the equation. Like maybe get prayed up before you go. Like ask God for help, you know, as you're going to, to choose your, your brand of, of cereal uh, for the week. But, uh, but, but let's let's make a jump here now uh, from the, the, the ultra-trivial, all right, to the ultra-crucial. All right, so I want you to think about this. Uh, unlike the amount of options, the varieties of cereal that are available to us in this wonderful world that we live in. When it comes to the path of life, the way that God has designed and ordered his world, there are really only two options, okay? And we see this all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament through the New Testament to the teachings of Jesus, we really have these two options that are laid out for us. There is the path of wisdom on the one hand and the path of folly on the other hand. And so so the Bible really lays out for us consistently. We're going to see this in our text today. There are two ways to live. And the question I want you to begin to think about this morning is, is, which way, which path am I choosing to follow with my life? Uh, we want to we be challenged this morning with, with this, to choose the path of wisdom by cultivating a heart constantly renewed by grace, okay? Choose the path of wisdom by cultivating a heart constantly renewed by grace. Uh, as, we, as we get into chapter 10, what we're going to see is just a couple of truths. And we're going to spend a lot of time on the first truth, and then we're going to kind of uh, speed up through the second point. But, but the first thing I want you to see this morning, this is so crucial, is that our conduct flows from the character of our heart. Okay? Our conduct flows from the character of our heart. Read the first three verses of chapter 10 with me, if you will. This is what it says. Dead flies... Make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool. All right, so as we think about this, that, that our, our conduct flows out of the character of our heart, we, we automatically are confronted with this kind of reality, okay, is that a lot of people view Christianity as this moral list of, of kind of rules, these do's and don'ts, if you will. But what we find as we read the Bible a little more closely is that Christianity really runs so much deeper than that. That God is after our heart. And so as we, we see here, there is, there is this, this argument going on that our heart will lead us to the path of wisdom or the path of folly. And what he says in verse one is this, is that a little bit of foolishness can go a long ways. All right? Look again, he says that dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. And then he compares that with a, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So we can have something as small and inconsequential as flies that get into this precious ointment that's that's meant to give off this beautiful aroma and these flies get caught in there and they die and then they turn what was meant to be beautiful into this stench. And this is what happens with our lives at times and i think that you know this could be such a strong word to the church okay because you know a lot of the uh, a lot of people who are skeptical or just kind of anti-institutional religion would say the church is so judgmental all right and i would always say you know perhaps they haven't met the real thing real christians that understand you know we don't have it all together all right and we're all a work in progress but you know perhaps they have there's some validity to that concern and and so when we sometimes focus on what we call maybe major sins, the most destructive sins, maybe sins that incriminate us, a lot of times we ignore little sins. Some people call them respectable sins. Think about some of these I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give to you. What, what about ingratitude? What about discontentment? anxiety, pride in all its varied forms, anger, impatience, irritability, lack of self-control, envy, jealousy, sins of the tongue. A lot of times we, we focus on these, these huge kind of sins and, and we make very little of what are maybe more respectable sins. But God wants us to, to give attention to every area of our life, Right? And this is one thing we can take away from this verse. A little folly goes a long way. It can really mess up our lives and mess up this aroma that we should be giving to God with our lives. But then he, then he moves in verse two, and in and, and my estimation, this is the key verse of the passage, all right? So if you, if you miss everything else that we're gonna you know, think on this morning, don't miss this. Well, what does he say in verse two again? He says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. All right. Now, here's just what this verse is not saying. This is this is not a political statement. Okay. So you know, if you if you lean, you know, kind of toward the Democrat, you know, side of things, or or the Republican side of things, you know, like don't get too frustrated or down, or don't get too excited. You know, the right's got it, and the left doesn't. It's not, not what's going on here, all right? All right this, is, this is also not a bash against left-handed people, okay? So if you're, if you're left-handed here, you know, we love you. We want you to come back. We need more left-handed people at Redemption Hill, so, so please come back. Obviously, that's not what's going on here, right? So so what, what's happening? What he's saying is a person's heart will lead them naturally and necessarily lead them in one direction or the other. A person's heart, what's going on on the inside will lead them to either wisdom or folly. And this is what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter six. Once you check it out here, what does, he, what does he say? He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks." And so Jesus is saying here, look, what's going on on the inside is going to come out on the outside. Your behavior is a result of what is going on in your heart. This is what Jesus says. And a writer that I really appreciate is a great book. It's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And the subtitle is is, is pretty helpful. It's it's people in need of change, helping people in need of change. And, And he, in this book, lays down what he calls the principle of inescapable influence. All right, I want you to get this. You might want to write this down. What he says is that whatever rules the heart, whatever rules the heart, will exercise inescapable influence over the person's life and behavior. You got that? Whatever rules the heart will exercise inescapable influence over that person's behavior. So let's just, let's just work with some presuppositions here, okay? Number one, we have this this idea that whatever is ruling a heart, that's that's gonna exercise this inescapable influence over our lives. Now, number two, let me put forth a claim that Christ is not always the one who is ruling our hearts, all right? We're just not like always on board with him. We're not always living for him and considering what he wants for us, which would lead us to the third thought that what's going on within us is not always best. We're imperfect. We're not there yet. We have a long way to go. We're a work in progress. And so, would you agree with this, this idea, with these presuppositions? I mean, just, just look at our city, what's going on in our city. Uh, uh, if you've read the news this week, we have uh, cur- controversy, if not, corruption amongst city officials and leaders. Added to that, we have 600 pounds of marijuana that has been discovered that have been trafficked through Medford. I mean, this is is the city we live in, right? Plenty of evil and wickedness going around. And yet, if we're careful, we'll remember that we shouldn't only look around us, but we should look within our own hearts for sin, however great or small that isn't lining up with God's will for our lives. So do you, do you see this at work in you? What has the power to change wickedness within us? Listen, it's not a set of rules, all right? It's just, that's just not gonna get it done. Not a set of w- rules that leads to behavior modification. What's gonna change us is the power of the gospel that leads to lasting transformation. So I I want to contrast these a bit. You have behavior modification on the one hand, which for some people, that is Christianity, by the way. Go to church, do this, don't do that. It's just behavior modification. That's how it works, okay? Keep a set of rules. It's like parents with kids. Do this, don't do that. No, don't go over there. Why don't you go over there and do this? And what's the problem there? Why doesn't that work? It's because it's not properly motivated, right? Maybe you're motivated by guilt. Man, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to let this person down. I don't want to let, you know, uh, maybe it's people-pleasing related to that. Or maybe even it's self-glory. Man, I want to look good in the sight of others, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, but behavior modification is the very reason. We've all seen this, whether we've been there and lived it or we've seen it in the lives of maybe friends. But when, when you know good little church kids go off to college and they just go bananas at college, why is that? It's because they've been living under the rule of behavior modification. <laughs> all right? Do this, don't do that. And when the the heart is not properly motivated, it's not gonna turn out well. What does it produce? It produces temporary change through moralistic behavior. And we could say, if you wanna read the gospels, little Pharisees, right? Look at me, I keep the rules. I do this, I do that. When really what's going on the inside is not that much at all. In fact, it's to the contrary, It's, it's, it's even evil, even that. So think about behavior modification and then look at gospel transformation. What's the difference here? It is obedience through dependence on grace, okay? So we do this or we don't do that because we see that this is how God wants us to live our lives and we're gonna do it in the strength that he supplies. We're gonna do it in the grace that he supplies. And now our motivations are different, Okay? We're operating out of love. We're operating for the pleasure of God. We're doing what we do for the glory of God. And this is quite different. It doesn't produce little Pharisees that have temporary change on the outside, but what it produces are mature followers of Christ that have lasting change, and it comes from the inside. And so... Let me kind of try to give a picture of, of, of how this works and be very practical with this. And this is from uh, Paul Tripp and Tim Lane's book, uh, How People Change, all right? There's this framework that they give, all right? You need, to, you need to understand this. Heat thorns cross fruit, okay? Heat thorns cross fruit. What they say is, Heat are just the everyday situations in our life, okay? I mean, this is, this is a principle that, a framework that applies to any situation. I'm talking about like right now, after you leave here today, tomorrow morning when you wake up, tomorrow when you're at work, it's, this is gonna be in play here, okay? So heat are, is, is just the, the everyday situations of life. Now, thorns are produced when we have an ungodly response to the situations of life, okay? Tracking with me here? The cross now comes into play because the cross is God's redemptive power to bring change in our life, thus leading us to fruit, a godly response to the situation around us. So so let's let's just think about a couple of examples. Okay, this probably didn't happen this morning, but maybe it did. Maybe it'll happen sometime in the future. All right, you come to you come to the gathering of Redemption Hill. We call it church. All right, you come to church. And uh, well this one's for the ladies, okay? So guys, man, if you're here, just you know, you can roll with it too. But, but but ladies are probably more concerned with this. You know, you walk in and everyone's here and then you see that lady who has the you know shirt or top or blouse or whatever you want to call it, you know, she has that that one on that you just bought and we're planning to win to, to wear next Sunday, okay? You ever been as maybe it was in church, maybe it was a party, maybe it was school, maybe it was whatever. Anybody ever been there? Maybe, yeah. And so, so what happens? That's, that's heat, okay? Same shirt. Maybe not like, you know, life-threatening heat, but it's still heat, okay? And you, you come in, and you're like, oh, no, she didn't. I know she, I know she didn't try to cop my style here, all right? Who she thinks she is. I mean, she, she, she tried to get that shirt to make her look good, but I make this shirt look good. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm i gonna have to go back to the store and and get another shirt because I'm gonna I'm gonna look even better than her next week. All right, that's that's thorns. Okay, that would be thorns. Now, here's a different scenario. Okay, maybe a little extreme, but uh, but you come in, you see the see see you know the, the girl the same. Oh, girl, you you got my style. We like the same stuff. I just got that shirt. Oh, you looking good in that? Better than I would. You know what, how about May 27th? We come to church, we can wear the same shirt. You know, we can be Twinkies. How about that? <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't do that. I hope you wouldn't do, I hope you wouldn't do that. Um, but you can see the difference there, right? That would be, that would be fruit, not thorns, fruit. And how do, we, how do we get fruit? It's through the cross, okay? So the cross produces humility rather than pride. It produces uh, love and kindness rather than envy and spitefulness. And this might be a silly example, but listen, the, the examples can run all around us. I mean, even right now, this is an opportunity, like hearing a sermon, it's heat, it's a situation. Are you, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Not just like kind of eye contact, but like, is your heart engaged? Like, do you really want to hear from God? Are you, are you gonna like try to think about what God is saying and then you know, take it with you and actually do something about it, that's fruit. Or you can just kind of show up and hear and just keep on doing what you're doing. That might be a, a thorny response. And the examples could go on and on. I mean, this is, this is applicable no matter what situation. If you can find a situation that, that, that is not applicable, just let me know, all right? It doesn't matter if you're at lunch and the waitress is slow with the food. It doesn't matter if your five-year-old has a meltdown. It doesn't matter if the boss is breathing down your neck this week at work. It doesn't matter if you know that friend or that spouse sins against you this week. Heat is coming all around us. And we're gonna produce thorns or we're gonna produce fruit. And the only difference is the cross of Jesus Christ that enables us to produce fruit, lasting fruit in our lives. So so here's here's the good news, all right? If if you would say, you know what, man? I'm not there yet. Well, just remember, we said, man, we're all a work in progress, all right? We we, um, are... In this process of, 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 for those of us who have received Christ, we're in this process of being made more like him. So look, there are going to be some bumps in the road. You can count on it. I lost all of my emails for the past two years this week, all right? Maybe I shouldn't share this story. It's kind of fresh, all right? Thursday, long story short, the guy that was hosting our server thought the new website builder had taken it over, and so he just kind of wiped us out. So I want to tell you, that was like some 117-degree heat going on, and I was just kind of going back and forth between thorns and frustration and discouragement and, you know, borderlining on kind of being angry about this and just coming back and saying, you know what, it's not the end of the world. Give me some perspective, God. Let me be kind. Let me be patient. Let me see if there's a way around. Let me actually pray about it. Like the prayer part came several hours later, all right, if I'm being honest. So we have these opportunities All the time. That's verse two. Our heart is going to determine the conduct in our life. Now, we'll pick up the pace, I promise. Verse three, look at verse three. He says, even even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he he says to everyone that he is a fool. All right, so he's just saying that the person who lives a foolish life, they just broadcast that. I mean, you can just kind of see them coming. Another translation of this could be that even when the fool walks along the road, his heart is deficient. Again, teaching us that that if if, if someone is walking in folly, then there is something lacking, something deficient going on in their heart. So we see this in play in the first three verses. Now, as we transition to verses 4 through 20, We're just going to look at some case studies of how this plays out according to the path of folly or the path of wisdom. And the encouragement here is to live wisely through a heart transformed by grace. Okay, so as we look at these these different areas, four different categories, I want you to remember this principle of inescapable influence and this heat thorns cross fruit structure, okay? Okay. So let's, let's pick up in verse four and we'll read through verse seven. This is going to help us know how to respond to offense and injustice. Look at verse four. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place." I've seen slaves on horses, horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So here we have what appears to be offense on the one hand and injustice on the other hand. Now, again, how, how, are, how are you going to respond when offended? Are you going to produce, you know, impatience, anger, frustration, those thorns? Are you going to produce the fruit of, of patience and kindness toward others? Psalm I mean, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So there's a good chance, you know, you're going to run into uh, an offense. Even this week, someone might offend you. How are you going to respond? Are you going to be patient? Are you going to be kind? Are you going to you know, have a soft answer? And apply this proverbial wisdom. What about verses five through seven? Well, they basically say what we continue to hear again and again and again in Ecclesiastes that this world is not always fair, it's not always like we think it should be. And so, back to John's sermon just a couple of of weeks ago when you experience injustice, how are you responding? Are you responding with, with God's perspective and, 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 and trusting in him or, or are you just trying to get vengeance because of the wrong around you? So that's, that's the first kind of category, responding to offense and injustice. Look at verses eight through 11 now and this, and this deals with working with wisdom, okay? This gets to the, to the job life again like we looked at last week. And what does it say? He says, uh, he who digs a pit will fall into it And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who carries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Okay, so now we're, now we're at the, as, in, in the work life here, all right? So when you punch the time clock, like, you know, tomorrow, think about this reality of producing thorns or producing fruit. We have just a couple of encouragements here, but, but he says, look, be conscientious, verses uh, eight and nine. He says, sharpen your ax, prepare well, Verse 10 so that when you exercise those skills and gifts on the job, you can be more efficient, more productive with your time, and do better work. We can work smarter with wisdom. And verse 10 says that it will bring success. All right, this is, this, these verses are a commendation of someone who takes their skills and gifts and abilities and puts them to work as best as they possibly can. He says that's, that's the path of wisdom. The path of, of folly is to kind of show up, chill out, do what you need to do to get by. We're all tempted to do that at times, right? And not produce the fruit that God desires. All right, number, number three. What about, what about our tongue, right? This is, this is, uh, this is some, some good truth for us regarding watching our mouth. Pick up in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to a city." And so think about how we use our tongue. Think about those around you, maybe some loquacious people that just know how to kind of run their mouth constantly. What, what the, the preacher here is saying is that, look, either words of wisdom will pour out of your mouth or words of folly. And he says that when we, when we use words of wisdom... It's like grace and favor, either pouring out of us or coming to us, or perhaps he means a combination of the two here in the text. Contrary to that, when we use words of folly, it produces destruction. And verse 13 says, look, it's going to go from bad to worse. He like serves up this appetizer of, you know, foolishness, the beginning of his words is is foolishness, and the end of his talk, okay, for dessert, you have evil madness. (laughs) It's it's, uh, another uh, person has has said it's like terrible irrationality. So these fools just go on and on and on and on and on. And what Jesus says in Luke 6, which we read is what is that? Out of the overflow of the heart, the abundance of our heart, our mouth is going to speak. So... Let's keep that in mind as we interact with others uh, this week. And then, and then finally, let's look at exercising leadership, verses 16 through 20. It says this, "Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. The, through sloth, the roof sinks. And through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thought, do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. All right, so, so just a couple of words on leadership here. I think that on the one hand, we have a couple of principles on mature leadership and work ethic that should be, on the one hand, the kind of leadership that we're looking for, and on the other hand, the kind of leadership that we ourselves are exercising. And you may say, you know what, Tanner, I'm not a leader. Why not? And you might say, I don't have the position of leadership with a lot of, why, why are you limited to that? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you have to lead the masses to be a leader? Don't you have people in your life that, you know, not only you look to as an example and and for some measure of mentorship and leadership, but there are probably some people in your life who need to or would want to look to you if you would just lead this wise, exemplary life. I have to think, man, we all have people in our life that we should be leading in some way, shape, or form whether it's your children, whether it's friends, whoever it may be. In fact, this gets at the, the, the great commission Jesus lays down, right? He says, what, well, go and make disciples. In other words, be a leader in someone's life and point them to me and show them what it means to walk with me and live your, their life for me. And so just a couple things here. He basically says that maturity is more important than age. There was a, there was a, a, a young king that exercise great maturity because he knew when to have a feast and throw a party, right? He has his feast for strength, whereas an older, wiser, uh, an older king just throws the party in the morning to to get drunk. And so there's a contrast there. But then he even goes at work ethic, and and he says in verse 18, through sloth the roof sinks, and through indolence the house leaks. And so those are are a, a couple of principles on Exercising wise leadership. And I think I hope that as we look at that, offense, injustice, how we work, how we talk, how we exert leadership in the lives of others, I hope that you'll take that framework, the principle of inescapable influence, heat, thorns, cross, fruit, and you'll see how it comes into play in really everything that we do in life. And so let's wrap up with this question. How can we stay on the path of wisdom? Just two principles here, okay? And I hope these are both true for you, all right? Number 1, we need a heart remade by grace. Okay? We need a heart remade by grace. In other words, the 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 Whole message of the Bible is that God created us for himself and he made us perfectly in his image. But we rebelled against God, chose not to live for him, sin and death enter into our lives, enter into our heart, and we have chosen the path of folly. So Jesus comes along and he dies on the cross for us and is raised again so that everyone who looks to him and believes in him and receives him, John 1.12 says that Jesus came so that all who receive him can have the right to become children of God, even those who believe on his name, all right? So, so I want you to see this. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in John 3. Whoever wants to see the kingdom of God must be born again, So we are born again as children of God, and God gives us a new heart. Our hearts have to be remade. Listen, if your heart is not remade by God's grace, then you are going to continue waffling on the path of folly. It's just the way it is. Now, hopefully you've come to that place in your life where you've seen that Christ is a treasure and he's worth living for. And he is the one that leads us on the path of wisdom. And if that is true for you, then you have had your heart remade by grace. And what you need is to have your heart continually renewed by God's grace. You got it? We need a heart remade by grace and a heart that is continually renewed by God's grace. And how does this happen? Let me just give you a couple of, of principles here, all right? Stick with the centrality of God's word and the gospel. All right, Psalm 1 is a, a psalm that talks about a path of wisdom and a path of folly. And verse 2 says that the one who is blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. All right, So if we will stick close to God's word and stick close to the gospel, if the gospel color everything in our life, then we'll be consistently renewed by God's grace. And here's just one other encouragement is to, to keep watch on our heart to see what is ruling our hearts, what is having this inescapable influence on our heart. Hopefully, Christ is reigning there. But you know what? We have to, to, to look in the mirror constantly and see what's creeping in, vying for our allegiance. And so we, we need to hear the words of Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life, right? And as we watch that and as we as we continually give ourselves to God, then this is what's going to keep us on the path of wisdom. And so before we close out our time together this morning, as we sing a song, uh, I I want you to to really reflect, are you being changed? Have you been changed? Are you being changed by the grace of God from the inside out? (laughs) This is how it works. This is how God has made his world. And and we need to constantly tap in to these truths so that we will have a heart that is displaying who God is and how he desires for us to live our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that is incredibly rich and deep and true. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to consistently practice repentance and faith. Lord, we often deviate from your plan. We often revert back to the path of folly, even for those of us who have known you many years. And so, Lord, would you remind us that, that you sent your son to die, that we might know the path of wisdom and live on the path of wisdom. God, we need your help. We need your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.